It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. We have a gambling segment most times. And, of course, a segment on the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Uh, Rick, I felt like I was just in Kansas City 23 minutes ago, and suddenly it's Thursday and we're doing this podcast again. This week has kind of flown for me just because of uh, it felt like felt like Sunday never stopped, and I woke up and it was Wednesday. Well, what'd you say on Sunday when we were doing the recap podcast? It's just the finality of it, right? It, yeah. you know, it stopped yep. so suddenly, and then yep. uh, time keeps moving on. It, it's been kind of a, a strange week because I think everybody expected the Bengals to still be playing and to still be working this week if you're covering the team. So that is what it is. The Bengals, of course, lost to the Chiefs 23-20 in the AFC Championship game on Sunday. We recapped the game on Sunday night on our final Bengals recap podcast of the year. And we have a few topics to discuss today regarding the Bengals still. We'll start with uh, Gene Steratorskin. He said on Tuesday that the Chiefs should have been called for holding on the final play where Osai ended up being flagged for the late hit on Mahomes. What were your thoughts on what the former head of officials had to say about the missed call? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate his honesty for starters. Um, You know, Dean Blandino, I think, said there was another penalty on another play, too. But that's where I go back to. I know that that's going to anger Bengals fans even more to to hear that. But... um, you know, they missed the calls and that's where I go back to their human beings who are occasionally missing plays. Um, Joe Burrow missed throws, Max Sharping missed blocks. Um, Jesse Bates missed a coverage. And that's the thing that I think that's where I think officials get over scrutinized is they are human beings trying their best who occasionally mess up. So do the players. So do the coaches. Um, and that's why I, I, that's why I hate replay. I just, I think it's trying to make perfect out of any, a, a situation that's completely imperfect. So I'm, again, I'm glad for his honesty. I know that doesn't make Bengals fans feel any better. It probably makes them feel worse that, Hey, they missed the call, but I, I'm sorry. I don't get into this whole rigged thing and they're against the Bengals thing. I don't buy any of that nonsense. I buy that they're human beings who make mistakes and, you know, maybe there's ways we can fix that moving forward, Rick. Uh, maybe we go to the eye in the sky. Maybe we we go to paying paying officials a really good piece of change. I mean, we're talking like elite level money to do an important job, and maybe you get better people doing it. I mean, at the youth level, it, it ain't worth it to go referee a Friday night football game for seventy five bucks unless you love it. It's just not. And so that's where it's got to start if you're going to get better officials. Is that all these entities that that host sports and make money off of them, high school athletic associations, etc. Need to start paying people more to get better people to do it. I'm not. I'd love to referee. I ain't doing it for seventy five bucks on a Friday night. Yeah, and that's the hard part. I mean, there's just not going to be the money there for those youth levels, uh, lower levels of the sport. I don't know where where that starts. Right, like what level do you start making good money out of it to to make it worth it for these guys to draw more talent and and younger, better talent? I I don't know. I mean, that that's that's a tough problem to solve. I think and. To your point, I mean, I don't know that refs have to be perfect. It, it is an imperfect situation, and it, it doesn't bother me for them to get calls wrong occasionally. But there does seem to be – maybe with the NFL, the issue is just that there's so many damn rules. They're so constantly changing that it's just hard to figure the things out from year to year. So it seems like there's always confusion. It seems like there's always a lot of blown calls and – um 
a discrepancy between what the actual rule is, what the public believes the rule is, and what the officials are interpreting the rule as. There's just a lot of that in the NFL anymore. Yeah, it just is. seems like everything is decided by the almighty flag at this point. And, and the almighty replay. Yeah, right. Exactly. On, on the replay note, we've heard um, going back to the Sam Hubbard play in the divisional round where the ball gets knocked loose. Hubbard get, catches the fumble, runs the length of the field. The stat cast numbers, whatever they call them, came out where it said the ball never got within two feet of the goal line based on the ball being chipped and all these cameras they have in the, the stadium, basically doing a virtual reality type um, readout of every centimeter and inch of the stadium with the ball being chipped. If the technology is in place to be doing that, why are we not just doing that for things like first downs at this point? Well, I I, 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 can't, I can't answer that, I guess, because, I mean, does the chip, if, I, if I'm if i down and I reach the ball across at the last second, um, does that show me making a first? I, I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. I mean, well, maybe, I mean we I, I would, maybe we should. I don't know. Well, I mean, in this instance, let's take the exact play. We're I'll be honest, you know, no offense to StatCast, I don't buy that either because I think it was about an inch from the goal line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean I'll maybe, be honest with you. I I, I don't I don't believe two feet. I don't. So 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 here, maybe that, that might be really the answer a, right there. Skinny. Yard. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, maybe, I maybe it is not accurate enough at this point for them to use it as an official thing, although it would seem to be more accurate than maybe officials eyes on the field from, you know, 30 yards away when they're standing on the sideline. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just it would seem to me that if the technology is there to do what they're doing and have these readouts that with a little bit more investment. And uh, a commitment to like, this is what we're going to do going forward. It seems like you could pretty easily have that technology be almost perfect in 2023. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah I would say that's, I mean, you know, tennis uses the the, the electronic thing anymore for right. to, determine, to determine line calls. Right. So uh, to me, it just seems like a no brainer, especially for things like spotting the ball where it plays such a significant factor. Is that a is that a third inches or is that a first down? completely changes the complexion of a game and we're just letting guys from again 30 yards away on the sideline make that judgment call and stick their foot down where they thought it might have been it seems like an easy fix i'd love to see a few things like that be modernized in the, the nfl game yeah I, i'm not opposed to, to, to that i guess i just again i go back to it's just an imperfect situation and i just don't know how i think everybody wants it to be perfect and it's never going to be nor should it be life's not perfect well said Skinny, another topic that came up following the Bengals' loss was the lack of commitment to the run game. It had been such a factor the week before in the Bengals' win in the divisional round. They played against the Chiefs. It was 41 passes to 17 runs. Mixon never got on track. They really never tried to establish the run a whole lot in that game. Were you surprised at all that they didn't go to the run a little bit more? Uh, yeah, um, and, and no more serious points to that than than the uh, the series in which Burrow threw the interception in the fourth quarter. The first play was a run that uh, Mixon got seven yards. It left you in second and three. Um, you know, what a time to maybe run it a couple of more times, and then you really do have yourself in a good spot on the field. Then you are okay. Now you got a chance to 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 open up the the pass pass game a little bit more. I, I just thought they. At second and three into the third and three, the second and three was an incomplete pass. The third and three, he took a deep shot. I think I'd have stuck to the run just a little bit on that particular drive. Clock wasn't a factor at that point in the game. In fact, a chance to maybe milk some clock as well and never give Kansas City another chance. But yeah, overall, yes, because it was so effective against Buffalo. 
Um, and, and, you know, you want to slow down a pass rush that's, that's kicking your ass. Yeah. You can slow it down with the run game. That That's the whole situation to me is the pass protection was so difficult in that game. And it wasn't like a game where you're playing from behind and you have to catch up. So you have to be throwing all the time. You had plenty of opportunity to stick with whatever your game plan was and continue to run the ball. Now I'm never going to be too upset about the Bengals putting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands as much as possible and saying, go win us a big game. So if that's what Zach Taylor and, and Brian Callahan felt like, look, look, let's just turn it over to Joe Burrow in the AFC championship game and let him throw 40 times. I can live with that all day, every day. There's not many complaints from me here. I, I would just say it was a little surprising considering the success they'd had the week before and the fact that they were getting crushed in pass protection against the Chiefs. I, I thought that that might have been a way to help combat that a little bit. Uh, but again, no real complaints that the alternative was saying, go ahead, Joe, go win us the game. No, I get that too. And, and I mean, they didn't run a lot of plays, 58 offensive plays, and of the 41 pass plays, I'd have to look at, remember that last drive before the half where they took over their own six and drove down for a field goal? I mean, that was a pass-heavy drive because it obviously had to be from a clock perspective. I'm going to guess, sure. I'm going to look that drive up. I'm going to guess they probably threw eight to ten passes on that particular drive. Um, so that skewed it probably a little bit. Um, but I, I'll also tell you, out of the thir- out of the 17 rushes you're talking about, Rick, four of those were bro scramble. So they really like, literally ran the ball 13 times. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they ran 13 plays on that particular drive. And of those, I take back 12 plays on that particular drive, there was one run and maybe a burrow scramble. No, two runs I've got so far. Yeah, so so 10, 10 of the pass attempts on that particular drive. Well, there you go. All right, Skinny, the, one of the topics that we discussed on Sunday night a little bit was the outburst from Jermaine Pratt, linebacker, after the game, after Joseph Osai's penalty on the sideline there where he had the late hit on Mahomes. Uh, a video was taken of him by a reporter, and it was posted on ESPN. It went viral pretty quickly after the game where Pratt was cussing, screaming out, you know, why would you touch the quarterback? This is my last year here, all of that type of stuff. And it got blown up. The players were asked about it. Coaches were asked about it. And then after all of it, after all of that happened on Sunday, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday uh, when the players talked to the media again. Jermaine it was Pratt Monday. Did ap- it, was actually, it was actually Monday. Yeah. Okay. Monday. Monday. Jermaine Pratt did apologize for this. What, what was the the fallout from the Jermaine Pratt situation? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I got to give him a lot of credit. Um, you know, I think a it was heat of the moment. I think he does feel like it's his last game here. He's close to a Super Bowl. Um and so he was getting ready to play ping pong. Him and I can't remember who the other, he, they were playing doubles. It was uh, Boyd and Mixon against the Monday was locker cleanout day. Uh, so it was our last day actually uh, with the team this year. And um, usually when they play ping pong, you leave them alone. But it was important enough to talk. So Ben Baby and I walked up to him and and he and then a crowd gathered and he did answer questions. And, and he said, I wasn't a good teammate in that moment. Um, and, and I thought that was a, an honest answer. I mean, it was an honest heat of the moment situation. He didn't double down on it. He basically said, I'm sorry. I'm man enough to look in the mirror and say, I'm sorry. I asked him, do you want to come back? He said, yeah. He said, I can't leave, you know, money on the table, but I want to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, we've got the components to do that. So I think he tried to do a mea culpa. Um, but I think he also does know he probably isn't coming back. So yeah, I, again, I, 
was was Sunday the way you'd like a teammate to handle it? No, but we've all seen those situations. It was heat of the moment. A lot of times a camera isn't around. This time a camera was around. Um, I don't blame the reporter, so don't, don't go there with it. I mean, it, that, you're allowed to, to, to film what they were filming, and it just was an outburst. But, again, I, I do – I thought it was good of him to stop, um, face the media, answer the question that, that everybody wanted, and I thought he was very – honest about saying, you know, Hey, I'm sorry. Um, I was wrong. I was, I was, in fact, I love what he said. I was not a good teammate in that moment. Yeah. And a ton of credit to him for that, because that, that's hard to come by with a lot of guys in today's day and age. And a lot of people are going to double down on that. There is one thing that I don't love where he was like blaming the media saying people like all oh, the media's trying to throw dirt on my name and they don't yeah. know the type of It's like, did not in this moment, don't blame anybody else. Just take, Take it all on you like you're doing for the most part. Yes. That's the right thing to do. But don't don't call out the media in this moment. It wasn't their fault. They had nothing to do. Now, are you getting mean tweets from fans and, and people like that? Sure. I'm sure there's some people saying some things about you like you're selfish and all that. And, and maybe but, but I'm also going to guess. Yeah, I'm also going to guess there were some fans that say, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jermaine. Right. Exactly. And, th- and that's that is what it is. You got to live with that after you say say something or have an outburst like he did. There, there's one part of me that's like, look. When, when people talk about being a good sport and, and good sportsmanship and being a good teammate and all that type of stuff, it only really matters in situations like this. Like being a good teammate and being a good sport when you're winning the AFC championship or when things are it's good, easy. It's that's easy. easy. Everyone does it, right? So like that, these are the only moments that really count and say whether or not you're a good sport or whether or not you're a good teammate. So there is that. You screwed that up. Now, you did the right thing. You said, hey, this is my fault. This is on me. And um, I made a mistake. So so kudos to him for that. But I'm I'm also not like, you know, o- overly going to celebrate the fact that he apologized either because it was his fault. He did screw up. Yeah. I, but again, I'll give him the credit for he knew he needed to answer those questions because he could have easily said, not now. I'm done. Um, and yeah. just blown us off and played ping pong. And that would have been that. Especially and since he, he knows he's probably going to be gone. Yes, correct. Yeah, right. Exactly. Although I do think he'd love to come back. And I think that was his way of saying. I screwed up. I wasn't a good teammate. Um, if the money works, I sure would like to come back because, um, you know, they're doing something special here. Uh, and I think he, would, he just want to make sure that if there was a door that was cracked open uh, that might have been closed on Sunday, that he cracked it back open just a little bit again. But I, I think the writing's on the wall just from a financial standpoint and where things stand. It's, it's not a matter of what he did that's going to cost him not being here. It's just a matter of the money doesn't work and they've got other players of that position group. There's a part of this that's kind of cool as a Bengals fan that the, the reason he was so upset seems to sort of be that he's mad about the fact that this might be his last chance right. with the Bengals. Right. People want to be here. They want to play for this organization now. They want to try to chase a championship with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. How crazy is that to think about? That's how NFL players now feel about Cincinnati. Yeah, and, and I know we're probably going to talk about the the what's going to come up the offseason, but I'll, I'll I'll segue that to Jesse Bates. You know, him standing in his locker uh, it was a messy locker. He had a lot of stuff in it. And um, I wrote a story on him yesterday about him yesterday um, and, and kind of tied it to that is the lead of the story of, you know, he was having a hard time cleaning his locker out, A, because it was messy and B, because he knows it's probably not coming back. And it was hard for him to do that, man. He, he doesn't want to leave. Um, he wants to be here. He was forthright about that, but he also, and he's right. I mean, I can't leave $10 million on the table. That's, that's family money. And he's right about that too. And that's where the business side of this sucks sometimes of, you know, guy wants to be here. Team really does want him here. Trust me, the Bengals don't want Jesse Bates to go, but the business side doesn't allow that. And that's the part of the NFL. That's really, really hard is it just changes so much personnel wise from year to year. 
it does suck and it's unfortunate i know there are real life things there you have to to move if you have a family you have to uproot them you leave schools you leave friends you leave communities all that stuff that's real life stuff and i totally get it and i'm not trying to take away from that but we are also talking about you making 10 more million dollars a year right correct you know so there are trade-offs that you have to make when when you want to earn that type of money yeah no question um with that being said while we're on this topic skinny are there I mean, we have plenty of time to get in all these offseason conversations. And it's going to be a constant thing that comes up over the next several months. But are there any guys right now we're confident in saying this guy will be back next year for sure? This guy will be gone next year for sure. Or at least this guy, they're going to definitely resign within the next year, even if his contract isn't totally up yet. Yeah, so I'm, I'm writing my kind of season ending piece, looking at that tomorrow, and I've kind of jotted down some notes. You know, it's funny. We, we're talking about a lot of guys who may go uh, because of the the Joe Burrow extension, but but let's just deal with the facts of who are not who are free agents uh, right now. And there's not very many of them on offense. There's one free agent. You know that is Hayden Hurst. Oh, that's okay. it. And I like Hayden Hurst. I, I'd li- I hope they get Hayden Hurst back, and maybe they can get him back on a on a on a team friendly deal, or maybe they decide to retool that position entirely on defense. It's Eli Apple, who probably wasn't going to be a starter next year with Jadobia Wujie coming back. And then it's your two safeties, Bell and Bell and Bates and Jermaine Pratt. You've kind of got guys in the waiting in the wings for Jermaine Pratt. You've got at least one guy waiting in the wings at safety in Dax Hill. I, I would hope that they would re-sign Von Bell because um, he probably won't, he won't, he's not going to cost as much as Bates. Um, I, I think the guys I can feel comfortable in saying won't be back would be would be Bates and Pratt. And then a lot of machinations after that, depending on the borough, how the borough deal shakes down, could get you into Tyler Boyd, uh, Joe Mixon. Um, you know, I, DJ Reader fits into the category, but I don't think they let that guy go, even though he's got a big, big uh, salary coming up that, uh, you know, again, there's non-guaranteed money in the NFL, but he's due a bunch this coming year. Um, so he could be a casualty, but I don't see it happening. I don't think that's the case. So I think right now the two guys I would say I feel comfortable saying won't be back for sure. And I could almost put three in that category would be would be Bates, Pratt, and and Eli Apple. Now Eli Apple could also go test the market, uh, doesn't get starter money elsewhere, and comes back here as a as a you know as a I don't know another one year deal. I can I can live with that. I don't know if he can live with that though. Yeah, I would never tell Eli Apple what to do, but isn't there part of you that thinks? Dude, you should probably just stay right here. This has been the one place that has worked out for you and, and yeah, he but believes in you and you've figured out the system. I'm noting you. I just think that if some team looks and says, well, you know, that dude has been a starter now on on two AFC championship clubs. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you can we can say all we want about him, but he has been a starter on two teams, one that won, went to a Super Bowl, one that, you know, won an AFC or uh, lost in the AFC championship game. And, and he played pretty well over these two seasons. He had his bad moments. I mean, the double move in the playoff game, um, he's had some bad moments. He's been pretty good for the most part, solid enough for the most part. I, I got a feeling somebody out there is going to give him starter money and, and a multi-year starter money at that. Not, not major, major coin, but someone's giving him starter money, in my opinion. We've talked about the players, but uh, one of the other topics of conversation with the Bengals and the success they've had over the last two seasons also involves the coaching staff. And we've talked about, you know, will Callahan get offers? Will Anarumo get offers? Uh, We did find out over the last week that the Arizona Cardinals requested to talk to Lou Anarumo about their head coaching position. And Brian Callahan, both. They talked about, yeah, both of them. Callahan was earlier, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. What are are the chances that the Bengals are going to be looking for new offensive or defensive coordinator next year 
it's funny, you know, and I, I, I would push for both of those guys to be head coaches, but then I look at a lot of the people that are interviewing and I'm like, where are these guys in the pecking order, in the real pecking order? And I just don't know if they're, I hate to do this. I don't know if they're at the top of the class and I hope I'm wrong. I hope it works out. I mean, Brian's one of eight, 8,000, I should say, but I think one of eight finalists for the, for the Colts job. But then you start looking at some names and there's a couple that you're like, that's probably higher in the pecking order. And I haven't looked at the Cardinals pecking order yet, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird circumstance. You know, if I, I, again, I'm a big fan of both these guys. So I, I have to couch that with that. I'm a big fan of them as coaches. I think they, they, they're great leaders. Um, I think they're great with the media. I think they do all, they check a lot of boxes as a head coach, um, very organized, um, great at delegating. I mean, all the things you want, but I, I, as goofy as it sounds, I just don't know if they fit in the pecking order right now. When we're also starting to get to a point with these guys, I'm not comparing where they're at in their careers to Mike Zimmer, but do you remember the feeling with Mike Zimmer where there were a few to maybe even several years in a row there where it seemed like the people around the team and, uh, you know, the like Marvin Lewis even and wh- whoever was in charge and, and the, the media, everyone that was like around him and knew him were all campaigning being like, this guy should be a head coach. He deserves it. He'd be great. And yet none of the actual NFL teams that were doing the hiring seemed quite as excited about him. Right. I, it feels like to me when you get people talking about, oh, this guy should be getting more opportunities, it usually means they're not actually a real candidate for most of these jobs for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think Brian's probably a notch higher than Lou for whatever reason. I think it's because the league likes offensive guys. That, that's um, the hard part right now. If you are making a, a new head coaching hire, who is excited? Who, who goes out there and says, I want to get a defensive minded coach? Well, and, and let's, you know, and the, but the, the, also look at a couple of the jobs that were filled in this off. I mean, there's not new blood again. It's Frank Reich in Carolina. It's Sean Payton in Denver. And I'm not knocking either one of those hires. I, I, I honestly think they're both good. I mean, Sean Payton's proven. I think Frank Reich's a better coach than the way it ended up in, in Indy. But, you know, there's two jobs off the board right there with with guys jumping back into the pool. So, again, the pool's not 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 that big and wide and open. So I just don't know. Getting interviewed is one thing. Being a serious candidate is another. And I just don't know if that's the case. I hope it is. At least it feels more so in Indy for Brian. I just don't know if it's real in Arizona for either one. Now, I will say this. I, I think the Bengals feel like, the, and, and Zach Taylor, Duke Tobin, those guys feel like, I think they feel like Brian's close because them them locking up Dan Pitcher um, and probably paying him close to coordinator money. So if the time comes that Brian's gone, they have him seamlessly move into the offensive coordinator role. That kept him from, you know, he had interviewed in Tampa. I don't know if he was going to get the job or not, but the Bengals obviously wanted to lock up Dan um, to make sure he's here, I think, for a succession plan. And if you're Dan and Pitcher, he's the quarterback's coach. Yes, correct. If you're Dan Pitcher, boy – you know, to, to take a coordinator job elsewhere is one thing to suddenly go from quarterbacks coach to coordinator with Joe Burrow. Sign me up for that. Cause that's your fastest track to being a head coach. Probably. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. He's in, he's in a great spot. He's smart to stick with Joe Burrow, by the way, like go ahead and be the guy who's allegedly responsible for Joe Burrow's success. That's, that's a good role to be in. You're going to yeah. look real good in that role. So go ahead and keep that job an extra year there, chief and see what it develops into. Yeah. And I, I think, I think he knew that too. And again, they're, they're probably paying him far more than what they pay normal quarterbacks coaches to kind of have the line of succession in place. That's that's smart on both parties' parts. Yeah. All right, Skinny. One last thing to get to here. It's been a topic of conversation across the country and media outlets. I heard Freddie Coleman talking about it the other night on ESPN radio, and the way he couched it was that he felt the Bengals and the Chiefs are the best, quote-unquote, now 
rivalry in all of sports. Meaning, you know, it's not it's not exceeding the traditional rivalries of uh, Yankees, Red Sox or, um, you know, Carolina Duke or something like that. But in terms of the the sports rivalry that commands the most attention and that people would most want to see and feels like it is most competitive right now, this is the one. Do you agree with that statement? I do, because it, it's it's now turned to they're looking for every little edge they can get. And now we got people, you know, taking shots at each other before the game. And obviously then because they took shots before the game, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes take a victory dance and rightfully so. And, you know, the fact they've played four times basically in a year, twice in the AFC championship game, I, 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 I'd be hard pressed to find a better one at the moment. Yeah. Look, when you have at this point, I don't, I don't think this is a, a hot take or anything crazy to say the two premier quarterbacks in the sport, Right on those teams, and they've met up multiple times in the AFC Championship game now, and they and play just, nail and, and they play nail biter games every time. Right, they've played four games now in the in a matter of thirteen months, and every single one has come down to a field goal. Uh, yeah, I mean it's hard to create much better excitement. Like you saw the the TV numbers; they were better than last year's Super Bowl right. for this year's AFC Championship game. And it was like the most viewed live sporting event in how many years? Yeah. Uh, like, it was the biggest championship game in four years. Yeah, just crazy numbers. So, um, but I, this is I I actually agree with this statement. It's one of those things that seems like kind of one of those silly narratives where people are just looking for something to talk about in the week after the Super Bowl because you have that week off. But this one I think is legit. I don't think this is being overhyped. This is yeah. legitimately the rivalry watch for years to come as long as those two guys stay healthy. Yeah, this is the Manning Brady. Of 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 this generation, right? That it felt like just about every year they felt like they were hooking up in a playoff game that that mattered. It might have been an earlier round on occasion, but it always felt like they were hooking up in a playoff game. Yeah, and that always felt like the real championship game. Right. Like if they're playing right. the first or second rounds, like well, that's the AFC Championship this year. Yeah, no, you're right. All right, let's switch gears here from football to college basketball. Well, wait, real quick because we don't actually have any game set up to bet on for this week. Let's go ahead and, and recap our football betting season. We have one more yeah, game let's left do that. with the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but uh, you had a good week last week. You were 3-1 and one in the okay. uh, AFC and NFC Championship. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. I I, I said Frisco was going to get rolled. Yeah, I didn't realize, did. I didn't realize so, they were going to get rolled because they were not going to have a quarterback left. But <laughs> That's right. And you also had the under. So you were 23-10 20, to 10 was your prediction on that game. It was a good prediction. And then um, I went 1-1 uh, one one in each of those games to finish 2-2. Two and two. You went 3-1. and one. I finished the year, uh, w- w- of course, we still have the Super Bowl, but 62-56-1 uh, and one to this point, 56-62-1 and one for you. Uh, so that's where we're at for the, the totality of football betting leading up to the Super Bowl. And by, then we- by the way, can I, can I bring up something from that 49ers game for a minute? Of course. The NFL needs to go back to the rule, and I get it. They don't want to have to pay an extra guy an extra game check. God forbid they all make billions of dollars. For a long time, they used to have a rule of three quarterbacks could dress. You had a guy who was labeled as the emergency quarterback. He could only play in case of emergency. to the first. You couldn't, like, yank the first two guys because they sucked. He could only play in case they were hurt. And then when he went in, he couldn't come out. And Let's just say starter one hurt his wrist and uh, starter two got knocked out of the game. Well, here comes emergency quarterback. He could only go back in if he – or he could only come out if he got hurt. It couldn't be, hey, the starter's healthy. He can go – no, he's got to be in. Why can't we have a third guy up and it's such an important position? Is it that hard? That, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. But and that's like, what the guy was labeled, emergency quarterback. That's fine. He dresses. 
He can only play in case of emergency. We came to emergency on Sunday. I don't understand why you couldn't just have three quarterbacks on a roster if that's what yeah. you decided to do. Well, it is a wasted spot on a game day. I mean, hell, the backup barely plays for goodness sakes. But a third sure, guy but- dresses an emergency guy, and, and instead of dressing 48, you dress a 49th, and the 49th is the emergency. I just, it, it, it's not going to cost you that much money, guys. You, you, you'll all live with without, you know, your, the guy making 17 game checks to stand there. Yeah, that, that's that's my whole point. It's like it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal for them to go ahead and add one more dressed spot and just say, there you go. There's the third quarterback spot right. for every roster. Why, yes. why would why would you not want to have another quarterback on an NFL roster? No, honestly, I think it's because they don't want to have to pay an extra game check to somebody. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that that's understandable. The NFL doesn't have enough money. That's no right. Correct. That's very clear. All right, let's switch gears here uh, to college basketball where there's plenty of action. All the college basketball is heating up. Football is finally over, which means people will finally start tuning into college basketball. The conversation will ramp up around here. But we will start with Xavier this week. The Musketeers lost to Creighton 84-67 over the weekend. Then they turn around and they get a win against Providence in overtime at the Centos Center on Wednesday night. That was without Zach Fremantle, the first game they've played since it was just, uh, announced that he would be out for a month of the season with a foot injury. So, uh, Skinny, what did you make of Xavier's one-in-one week, especially with the news that Zach Freeman will be gone now for a while? Yeah, I actually, uh, the flight I took to Kansas City had had the direct TV in-flight, so I got a chance to watch the the Xavier Creighton game until I decided to turn it off because it just wasn't very entertaining for after a while because Xavier's getting boat raced. Um uh, you know, I think you and I talked last week, Zach Freeman or not the injury or not all those things going to Creighton for them is just a, it feels like it's a, it's a pit every year. So that I'd already chalked that up as a loss. Yeah. I think you did too. When we talked last week, right. I yep. mean, that was going to be a big ass to go there. Margin of victory sometimes doesn't do much for me or margin of defeat either way. It's just, you were going to go there. They were better. And they, and Creighton's really, I think you and I both agree. Creighton's really, really good. Um, it, it, They just need to start to get some wins and they are going to be, I'm telling you, if they get to a, to the eight, nine seed line, they're going to scare the pants off of a one seed. I'm just telling you right now, they're they're legit good. So that one didn't bother me. The Providence game I went to was, that was just great basketball. I, I, that was so much fun to, to watch. Um, uh, such great theater. Um, you know, Kunkel makes the three, looks like it's a dagger, and they come up with a steal and cut it to one. And, you know, and then you got Boom at the line, and he's such a clutch free throw shooter, and he, he makes one of two. Um, so he couldn't put him completely away. Then the kid launches one out of the corner, right in literally right in front of where I am. Is when it, when he left his hands, I thought, oh no, that's in for the, for them. Um, but I do think this Rick, and and I just wonder how this is going to add up. I mean, Nunji, Boom, Kobe Jones were great. Um, I thought Jerome Hunter, other than shooting foul shots at times, was great. Uh, I just can you get by with six guys the rest of the conference season without killing them going into the tournament? Yeah, I mean, I. I just don't worry about that as much. And I thought this game kind of showed why this was a game that went into overtime. You well, had to get, cramped up to get through 45, but you still got through it and won the game, even with that happening. Well, right. I, Rick, I, I'm not saying you can't win a game and you're going to win. They're going to win more than I just wonder the collective toll it's going to take on this team. Um, you know, Nunji looked like he was dead and God yeah, love him. He's still getting up down the floor. That What's that? He kind of always looks that way, has ever since he arrived. At it's like after he gets over 22 minutes, it seems like he's always laboring up and down the floor for, to some extent. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I get what you're saying, and I, I'm not saying it's a, it's not a real concern, but, I mean, these guys are 21, 22 years old. They play like they just got done playing four AAU games a, a weekend, you know, and they were in the EYBL a couple of years ago. Like this isn't 
all that crazy of an ask for them to go out and play a full game, like it, it not coming off the floor for five or six of those guys. I don't, I don't think it's that crazy. And this game, a game in which Providence, by the way, had even less of a bench. They, they're, they're not injured, and they used even less of their bench in this game. They only played six guys and barely played the six. It's like, I don't, I think you can get through these games. It was more about how will you make up for the loss of Zach Freeman? How will you make up for the lack of his scoring? his defensive rebounding, especially against a team like Providence that's really good in the offensive glass, and just the nature of your offense and the way it's been so efficient this year of getting the high-low actions, getting the big-to-big passing going between Nunji and Fremantle, making opposing defenses force uh, be forced to figure out how they're going to guard two opposing big men like that. Like A lot of teams don't play that type of lineup anymore where you have two legit post players, so which one do you want to put on? Nunji, which one do you put on Fremantle? Nunji's a little bit taller, but he's going to stretch the floor on you more so than Fremantle. So it's been like this whole thing that opposing coaches and uh, defenses have to figure out. That was my bigger concern is what is the loss of Fremantle going to do from that perspective? And I mean, you can't say enough about the way that Jerome Hunter stepped up in this game, especially from a defensive perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, the eight rebounds, um, he, he had a couple good post moves when they put him in the post. Um, cause it allows you to have Nunji throw the high low and, and you got to respect Nunji shooting the ball. The one thing about high low with, with Hunter, they didn't do a whole lot of that. If any, really it, when Nunji posted Hunter was out of the way, cause they're just never going to respect Hunter as a shooter. So, you, you know, what's the point of that? They're just going to slough off of them. Yeah. But, but in fairness, I mean, teams haven't really been guarding Fremantle from the three well, point range a whole lot either. Yeah, you know, they've been leaving him up at the top of the key and he's, he's still been fine. That's the one thing Zach's been really good at. Teams have been giving him all that space. And if he's not scoring, he's making plays. He's really been passing the ball well before he got injured. Yeah, I do think that they can make up for his lack of scoring. I think you saw it last night because I think you can get a little more out of Boom. You can get a little more out of Colby. You can get a little more out of Nunji. You know, if Hunter can get you nine to ten, I, I think I think you make up for that that slack for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I and, and Nunji was great on the glass too. I mean, what did he end up with? 15, 14, 15 rebounds, something like that. I mean, he was he was yeah, really, fourteen, especially on the defensive end. Um, so yeah, no, I. I, I think you can do it in the short term. I just, like I said, I, I wish Caesar Edwards had played better. I mean, he had three straight trips defensively where he was just horrifyingly bad. And then he couldn't get a rebound on two of those, which he should have. Um, and there's your chance, kid. He's giving you a shot. Go earn some more minutes. And I, I'm listen, I'm not blaming Sean. I'm not saying just throw guys out there to throw them out there. I just, my fear is six guys in a conference schedule is really, really hard in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do think that's the solution here to losing Zach Freeman. A lot of people, like on my message board and just on social media, we're talking about, okay, who is now going to get these minutes now that Zach isn't there? Is it going to be uh, Kiki Tandy playing more minutes? They're going to go more small ball with Colby at the four. Is it going to be more Cesar Edwards or more Deontay Miles? And I, I've said this a few times now. That's not going to be the answer. The answer is going to be how creative can they get to avoid having to go deeper into that bench? How can they play as many minutes as possible with only their top six now that Fremantle is out? That's going to be the key for this coaching staff. And I think you saw that in this game. Yeah. And the one thing I'll give Sean, Sean and his staff some credit for is, is when he did sub Tandy Edwards in, um, he did it. He would do it with like a minute before the next media timeout. And then he'd leave him in for maybe a few seconds after the media timeout. And that did buy a guy, you know, five minutes of real time on the bench, right? Five minutes of real time taking a taking a breath and and I think if you do those things creatively of buying that minute here and then you're talking only of you know a couple of possessions maybe two or three possessions on the front end of the media timeout hell maybe if you want to sub quickly it's one possession after the media timeout so it's not a a, a lengthy period of time but it's five minutes of real time which can be significant right 
Yeah, they they'll host uh, St. John's on Saturday as they continue. Good thing they don't play at a fast pace. Yeah, that's that. Your depth will be tested once again. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on to Cincinnati. The Bearcats lost a close one to Houston 75-69 over the weekend, and they followed that up with a Wednesday night win over Tulsa 81-55. to Skinny, I, I think it's fair to say that Wes Miller has UC playing the best basketball since he's been in charge there. I think you're right. I, I you know, it would have been punctuated with the win over Houston because they oh, actually – that would have been massive. That didn't feel fluky. They stood toe-to-toe with Houston. Now, I will say – Houston's been wobbling here a little bit of late. Um, so Feels like they're getting a little bored with the AAC right and, now. And, that, and that may be the case, right? I, I, I But I don't want to take away from what UC did because I thought UC, um, I got to my hotel and watched the second half of, of that game, and I thought, you know, they played pretty darn well. Um, Tulsa sucks, so but still, they're playing. They are playing, I think, a pretty good stretch of basketball right now. I don't know what that means. I don't think it's going to mean anything other than you just feel better about this guy if he can get his guys in there, but um, they are playing pretty well right now for sure. Yeah, the frustrating thing about the the Houston game and not pulling off that win is you're still in the same situation you've been where people are going to keep saying, yeah, but win a quad one game for, you know what right, I mean? Like until right. we until we congratulate you and say good job and yeah, you're playing great basketball, win one of the meaningful games first. And you had that opportunity to win the most meaningful game on your schedule and, and you just couldn't come up with it. Now, I will say with you, like one of my strategies as a better has always been this UC team gets down or gets up by 15, 20 points and the spread gets that high, you know, a spread of 15 or more points with UC automatically hammer that on the live line because they're going to give that lead up almost every time that has not been the case recently. Right. All of a sudden they've been shutting these games down against a team like Tulsa and winning by 25 plus points. So I do think they are starting to turn a corner a little bit in that regard that they're, they're starting to dominate some of the lower tier teams in the AAC, the way you'd like to see them do. And, and now they're competing with the Memphises and the Houston's and, and playing better basketball against the teams at the top of the conference. Uh, Jeremiah Davenport got crushed earlier in this season, but he's been one of the key cogs in a lot of these games recently. Well, I think he gave him the role of coming off the bench. He needed a scorer off the bench. And I, I think it was, and he's making shots fine. Yeah. I mean, he made four threes last night. I, I, I think it's a, it was a good move. It, it allowed him to find a score to come off the bench. And yeah, you would like that to be maybe skillings, maybe Reed and skillings has actually played pretty well here of late. Yeah. But you know, you, you know, Davenport can score a little bit. And I, I just think it was, a, it was the right move to make, to give you some punch off the bench. Yeah. And that that's the thing. It's hard to win at any level. If you're not going to shoot well from the outside and over the last, you know, maybe two weeks or so, it feels like they've, for the most part, gotten some pretty good individual shooting performances in each of these games. Yeah. Can Mike Adams would stop shooting, though? <laughs> I mean, they keep letting him. And um, <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They, they they keep letting him. You're right. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's uh, let's move on to NKU. The Norse beat up on Green Bay 68 to 50 on Thursday night. But then on Saturday, they were up by 23 in the first half against Milwaukee blew the lead and let Milwaukee come all the way to back to win the game 75-74 at Truist Arena, NKU's home gym. And now the Norse will play two more games here this weekend, two more meaningful games as they have Robert Morris and Youngstown State on the docket for this weekend. Skinny, what was your thoughts on NKU's one in one well, week? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you. Well, Green Bay sucks, so that part doesn't do much for me. The Milwaukee one, you know, was I don't call it devastating because there's still a lot of basketball left. But unfortunately, it's mostly all on the road. Yeah, that's two games, though. They've blown at home. 
uh, literally blown. I mean, the, the, the Milwaukee game and then the Oakland game. Yep. How and why is that happening at home? Well, th- that's the concerning part is at home. Like they, they've been really good at home for the most part. And especially when you had a schedule that set up like theirs did, where you play seven of your last eight on the road, you wanted to really take advantage of as many of those home games as possible. And hell, if not, if not for a miracle shot, they lose to Cleveland State at home. That's true. I mean, look, you could look at all these games and say they should have a much worse record. They could have lost all these games at home. You could also look at it and say, like, they're seven points away from being undefeated in right. conference no, play. Right. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth with how I view this team because uh, they are still in, you know, the early Division One years and maybe expectations are, are getting too high at, at times if I'm already expecting them to, like, dom- dominate the Horizon League conference. But it does feel at times like when they play their best, they're capable of being that team. They can get a 23-point lead on Milwaukee, who was tied for first place in the conference with them and completely dominate. But then that's the question is, why do they fall apart in the second half? And so, I think, so I'll ask you, why, why, do you, why do you think it is? I think you have uh, a combination of, you know that situation you get in as a coach, Skinny, where you want to stay aggressive and do what got you the big lead in the first place, but you also want to make sure, hey, we got a big lead. Let's, let's run some clock on our possessions. Let's take smart shots. Let's be a little bit more conservative, not throw the ball around those types of things. It felt like NKU got caught up in a little bit too much of that in the second half of let's, let's slow the game down a little bit. Let's, you know, they, they played the score. That's what happened. And the problem is that's now happened a couple of times and they have an offense where they seem to get bogged down too much. I mean, they, they play at one of the slowest paces in the country. They run a ton of time off the shot clock every possession. And it's like at some points, I think they get a little too bogged down in uh, some of those games when they have the big lead and they take their foot off the gas a little bit. And then they they're playing really slow. I think it's hard for them to turn it back up to that high gear that they were in that got them the 23 point lead in the first place. And they have to figure out a way to combat that. They can't have a guy like Marquez work their best, shooter and scorer go one for nine from three point range in those games when he's getting clean looks. I don't know what the answer to that is, how you fix that necessarily. But to me, that's, that's the issue. Like you, you just can't have those, those second halves where your best players can't make a shot. Yeah. And this is, I mean, three straight road games at Robert Morris, which they were, you know, all out to beat at home uh, and they're 500 in the league. Then Youngstown, which is obviously played really well this year. They're tied for first with NKU Milwaukee and Cleveland state. And then at the rival right state, and then the one home game IUPUI, which should be is going to be a, a cakewalk. But I don't see them losing all three of these road games. But boy, I could also see them losing all three of these road games. Well, every one of them is going to be up for grabs. I mean, you mentioned the Robert Morris game that came down to the final possessions when it was at home, and the Youngstown State game was a double overtime win for NKU at home the first time they played. Right, so, right, both of these matchups are going to be hotly contested, and really every team in the conference this year. In the Horizon League, except for the bottom of the league with IUPUI and Green Bay, who are just terrible. Everybody else is very competitive. I mean, Detroit Mercy doesn't have a great record sitting at four and eight right now. They got a dude. But they still have Antoine Davis that scares you on any given night. Yeah, right. No, they still got a dude. So that helps. No, I I mean, six, five losses, I think for sure wins the the one seed. Does, Does six come into play? It's possible. I mean, you have four teams right now sitting tied for first at nine and three. And I don't think there's much separation between any of these teams. So to your point, I mean, it's not like anyone's getting out of here with no losses or even one loss the rest of the way. Each of these teams are going to drop a few more games at least. I think six could very well still win the conference tournament or still win the regular season. 
Yeah, but boy, you could you you really easily could be sitting at eleven and one with a lot of leeway at the moment. No question. And uh, I think to some extent they're kicking themselves. I mean, like again, it's just been this juxtaposition the whole season. On one hand, they're tied for first. They clearly look like the best team in the conference when they play to their potential. On the other hand, when are they consistently going to play to their potential? Right. right. And and is this just part of you know? Let's face it. If some of these guys were consistently great all the time, would they be playing in the Horizon League? Fair enough. You know, maybe that's just part of it at this level. This this is what you get. All right, let's go on to Kentucky skinny where the Wildcats lost to Kansas 77-68 over the weekend and then beat Ole Miss 75-66 on Tuesday night. Give me your thoughts on Kentucky's one in one week. Yeah, um, I, I think what you've seen now from this team is it is not even close to the elite in the country. Um, and and, and I, I mean, I say that and it sounds stupid, right? Because we've talked in some weird, weird terms about this Kentucky team. Um, well, I, not, I, though, you think not even closes, right? Or yeah, I mean, you've had your you've had plenty of swings at it that you just can't get it done. I mean, I, the Tennessee win is still a great win, but that's one. You know, the other the other marquee games that you have played. You have lost, and you lost this one at home to Kansas. Not, not nothing shameful in it. Kansas is top ten in the country. They're really good. But that no, was I, just, really, I, just saying, I mean, they were in the game though. It's not like they were blown out. No, no, understood. But again, that's all well and good. But at some point, you need to win some of those games, sure. and yeah. they just haven't to make me convinced that they are a dangerous team in March. They have convinced me that they're going to get to March and get in the tournament and and maybe win a game or two. But I just don't. The ceiling is just. It doesn't feel like it's. You know. It, the consistency factor just isn't there. Good for Antonio Reeves to make a bunch of shots the other night against Old Miss, and he kind of bailed him out by doing so. But then C.J. Frederick can't make a shot. And, um, you know, they, they didn't have Cason Wallace. I do get that. I, I don't I, – this team just doesn't do much for me, and I wish it did. It just doesn't. Um, it's got a stretch here where it can put some things together and, again, solidify itself as an NCAA tournament team, probably get itself – maybe to the eight, nine line at some point. But at that point, you're playing a one on the second second day, and I don't see them beating any of the ones. I just don't. Well, as much as we've talked about Shibway coming into the year as reigning national player of the year, and at Kentucky, you always have these top freshman prospects coming in. And this year, it's kind of been Case and Wallace has been the guy that's stepped up a little bit. To me, it kind of feels like this season is going to come down to, can you get Antonio Reese and CJ Frederick going at the same time? Right, right. Those seem to be the catalysts right now that are carrying them. Yeah, and and CJ didn't do anything the other night, but Reeves did. But yeah, can you get them both going on the same night? Because if you do, then you're going to get some stuff going for Oscar too. Yeah, well, they they have provided some space. I mean, you mentioned Reeves. He goes six of seven from three the other night against Ole Miss and has 27 points. Those, Those two guys give you some spacing on the floor, which is what they were lacking earlier in the year, I think. And you even you've even seen... Severe Wheeler has been helped by that. He's been playing a little bit better recently because all of a sudden there's a little bit more room for him to operate on the floor and create some things. So to me, those are the two guys. But I, I will say we're getting to the, the point of the season where people are finally out on Kentucky. They, they're finally like, OK, this team really doesn't have it. They're not going to turn this around, figure it out. They're not going to be one of the top teams in the country. So we're getting to the point where everyone has written them off for the most part. But you're right. They are going to make the tournament still, I think. So you're going to get like a. Somewhere between eight to eleven seeded Kentucky, and to me, those are the most fun years around here locally. I, yeah, I no. love years like that where Kentucky has a chance to to play spoiler or quote unquote Cinderella. Those are always funny to me. It doesn't, as I say, because it doesn't happen very often. One of my yeah, favorite, and it's just hilarious calling like UK a Cinderella. Yeah, one of my favorite years was my senior year of college, um, uh, where uh, it was Kenny Walker was the last year for Joe B. Hall as a coach, and they really scuffled through the year, went eighteen and I think. 
12 in the regular season, something like that. Went into the tournament as an 11 seed, upset a really good Washington team with Detlef Schrepp and Christian Welp, then beat a really good Vegas team to get to the Sweet 16, and then actually had a, a St. John's team that made the Final Four with Chris Mullen, um, Mark Jackson, and, and Bill Wennington. Took them, actually had them down in the first half and then ended up losing, but it was a fun year because not you know it was a rare year where Kentucky got a chance to be Cinderella and spoiler and maybe that's going to be the case for fans this year that all right they're in and oh wait there's 10 seed Kentucky knocking off a seven and all right now they're going to play a two and I they can maybe I just don't see them beating the ones but yeah I, I, I think it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting way to see the 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 March Madness as opposed to probably for most Kentucky fans the last few years like last year as a two seed you know, clenching your teeth together and hoping to God you don't get upset by the 15 seed, and you did. Yeah, wasn't it like, uh, was it 20, 2015 or 2014 where they were in eight seed? Uh, yeah, that was and they made the with, national championship. Wichita. Game? That was the year they beat Wichita. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, th- those years to me are fun when Kentucky comes in as like an eight seed, but hopefully they'll be playing well at that time of the tournament. I, I really enjoy those years because then you get nervous, frantic UK fans watching an eight, nine game at long necks and you can sit beside yep. them at the bar and just egg them on. It's fantastic. What of the year they beat Wichita and Greg Marshall's wife was drunk? Oh, wait, maybe that's every game. <laughs> yeah. What, which year was that? <laughs> All of them? All right. Let's get in some ass skinny anything here. Uh, you don't have anything else college basketball no. you want to touch on, no. do you? No, okay. All right. Let's get some asking anything here. A lot of sports questions to get to. We'll start with, Skinny, how much do you think Tom Brady regretted his decision to come back for this final year? Um, It cost him a wife. <laughs> I mean, it cost him a pretty good look. Although, I, I've, he's got another one on the horizon, another girl on the horizon. I don't think he regrets it. I don't because I, I think like any athlete wants to go out on their own terms and very few do. And he got a chance to to come back on his own. He still had another great statistical year. He still gutted them to the playoffs and credit to him. So I, nah, I don't think, I don't think he regret. I don't unless really he's regretting losing his wife. I just can't imagine. I mean, seeing that video of him and now, of course we're talking about this because Tom Brady announced his second retirement on uh third Wednesday or third Wednesday, I guess Wednesday, it was Wednesday morning. Yeah. Wednesday morning. Yeah. Um, Seeing that video of him in tears, basically on the beach as he was announcing it and and saying he was he was thankful and and saying you know you don't get a, a second you only get one long winded uh, essay yeah, farewell and and I've already used mine up it was just kind of like a sad little video that he put out there I thought and it was uh, uh I just can't imagine that he looks back and thinks yeah the last year was worth it to to get to this point where I I, I have this not embarrassing year by you know for him because he played well for the most part but embarrassing year in terms of what what his team did compared to expectations and you have all the personal turmoil and all the things that he had to go through off the field with paparazzi following around his family and everything because he and Giselle broke up i just can't imagine that this year was worth it for him even even with all the money that's been made well the only thing I will say to this is I'll believe he's retired when next season starts and he's not playing. Oh, really? We're going down that road. You think this yes. might not be it for him? Hey, what a what a better way to get out from under Tampa and have another team start, try, try to woo you behind behind the scenes. San Francisco. I mean, seriously. Oh, you think that's a possibility? I, I do. Again, because he's done it before. It's his M.O. He can't give it up. He's like a crack addict. He can't give it up. And I don't. It's fine. I listen. I. 45 still going strong. I mean, God love him, but I, I, he's a competitor, man. And 
you know how that stuff, when you're a competitor and suddenly that light gets turned off, I think it's hard for guys, especially that they, at the elite level that he competes at, that he wants to compete at. You started to say, you know how that is. And then I think in your mind, you realized, no, Rick truly does not know how it is to be one, a crack addict or two, an elite NFL quarterback who can't quit playing. So, yeah, you're right. I I did not know how it is. But you have I I would think most of us have a competitive. I mean, I'm so competitive. I can't even stand myself sometimes. Um, I I just think he loves the competition of it. And I think he loves everything about it because he keeps going through it at his age. I in my heart, I'd, I'd say it's 90% he's retired, but as God is my witness, I'll, I'll I'll only believe it when next season starts and he's not on an NFL roster. Yeah, the most competitive thing I do at this point is uh, trying to beat the other car into the closer parking spot in the closer see, parking lot. But see, and if you don't get it, though, don't you get mad? Oh, yeah, I get a little pissed sure, off. There we go. Yeah. All right. Uh, does Skinny think Sean Payton can revive Russell Wilson's career and the Denver Broncos? Uh, the Denver Broncos, maybe, but Russell Wilson, no. Um, I think that would be a two-year bridge. I don't know if they go after their quarterback this year or if he just looks at the landscape and looks down the road at a free agent to come at some point or, um, you know, uh, finagles a trade for maybe a quarterback down the road, but he's going to have to swallow hard with Russell Wilson for a couple of years because of that contract. I just don't see him reviving his career. No, I don't. Is I mean, there Russell, any- looked, Russell looked washed. Yeah, it was it was terrible. The, the big the bigger issue I think for Russell Wilson is this everyone's over him and over his shtick and all his nonsense. And it's going to be hard. But, but that's what makes him who he is. Is that like being Mr. Leader and rah rah, like win one for the Gipper College guy. And now that everyone kind of hates him for that, and it's like, dude, you're just a loser, shut up. I think that's really hard for him to deal with in the locker room. I I, I don't know that he can ever be the same guy that he was now that he's been called out for that type of stuff. Yeah, I think I think for Sean Payton, for listen, this is not a Nathaniel Hackett hire that um, you're trying to get a flavor of the month. No, and it was a complete flavor. Sean Payton has has plenty of skins in this game, and so you give a guy like that multiple years to get it right, um, and let him eventually get his quarterback to get it right. You know, I wouldn't expect miracles with him coming in there. I do expect them to be better because it had to be better than what Nathaniel Hackett was. That guy was an absolute abject clown like his dad was. I've never seen a guy get more jobs that deserved it less than Paul Hackett. Now Nathaniel Hackett's bouncing back around as a coordinator. It feels like it's apple falling not far from the tree. What did uh, the Hackett family do to you? Oh, Paul Hackett just annoyed me because I never understood what he did other than being on Bill Walsh's staff that he sucked at the, the nipple of Bill Walsh. And suddenly he was the golden child of, of offensive gurus. And that dude bounced from job to job. He ruined Pitt's program. He ruined USC's program. Uh, he, that dude was a bad coach. I'm glad you said nipple there. I thought that was going somewhere else for a second. <laughs> um, all right. Is is there any possibility that Sean Payton is just like washed or time has passed him by at this point? And he's like no. not going to be good at all. No, I think he's too competitive too. I, I, he'll get Denver right in my opinion, but he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to do it with his quarterback eventually. All right, I think this is a. This question is. I assume this is being asked because of the multiple third down opportunities that the Chiefs got against the Bengals in the AFC okay. Championship game. Okay, but it's, the question is: Should NFL teams get a mulligan to use? The only exceptions would be that you can't use it after a turnover or a penalty. Um. Yeah, I, I, that'd be great. I mean, how about a missed like 52 yard field goal to win it and go, I haven't used my mulligan yet. Let's do this again. Oh, yeah. I wonder what that be. I mean, obviously, it's hypothetical, but like, would you include missed field goals in that that turnover and uh, penalty 
exception? Would, would field goals be a part of that? Because that's a great point is end all of game was, situations. All he said was turnovers and penalties. So Right. And I just always think about it too. I mean, if you're if you get down to like uh, you know, third and long or a late game where it's four down territory, you got a fourth and you go, Well, we've got two opportunities here. We yeah, can try fourth, both plays. Fourth and an inch sneak, and then it doesn't work, and you go, All right, let's go fourth and an inch plunge. We we yeah. got going down my mulligan card. I I I gotta say, I I know it's gonna be lead to a lot more scoring. I know this is a rule just to make it uh, more entertaining. You, you only get one game. though. You only you got to be pretty strategic with the that, one you use. That's the thing. It adds so much strategy to the game, and and you're going to be sitting there all game as fans watching, going, "Oh, do you use it here? Is this the spot? Yeah, we we never use our mulligan today. What an idiot of a coach." <laughs> I, I I gotta say, I don't hate this idea at all. I think it's kind of interesting. You too. And I don't like it when the refs do it at, at their own whim. I oh, prefer yeah, it actually that. be on the books if we're going to have that rule. But yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, uh, maybe, maybe this was the test. Maybe this was the beta test and no one told anybody of. All right, let's try the mulligan right here. They're Nobody's always gonna... testing new rules. It could be. Right. It's kind of like the ghost runner. Right. Uh, what's the best signal for a call that officials make any sport? It's got to be the charge, man. It's got to be the charge. <laughs> <laughs> the punch. It's got to be. That had to be the only reason this question was Correct. asked and you Absolutely. followed through I mean, so yeah. quickly. Yeah. That or that or um the the the, the emphatic strikeout on occasion is good for me. The one I can't remember when umpire did it where he would like pull his his right arm like to his to his chest. I, I always like that one. Like he'd do like a crossfire with it. I, yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. I like that one too. Yeah, like you're cocking the gun or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think strikeout has to be the right call here, right? Because you get to kind of make it your own. Everyone can have their custom one, and it's not unreasonable. You're not being an ass to make an emphatic strikeout call. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. Any other official or ref in any other sport that really like goes out of their way to emphasize their call is kind of being a douche and look at me kind of situation there. But the one it's other the, one, it's the charge. Yeah. I knew you were going to say charge and that is the worst. They love like taking three hops out and doing their punch. Like it's so embarrassing when refs call it charges. There, there, they love there, it. There, there was a long time high school referee around here. And I know he got on coach's nerves. Um, I think Owen Donahue, I think was his name. Uh, I like the one, but Owen did a, when he would call walking, he would like click both of his feet, like to his, to his butt. He like jump in the air and click his feet to his buttocks as he did the. What? It, yeah. He, I'm, I'm not kidding you. That was his walk call. Uh, so, so, you, well, so jump up, you would click both your feet towards, towards the back. I and have. Make the walk. Yeah, it was I the damnedest thing ever. It was the damnedest thing ever. I, I'm on the side of all the other coaches who he drove crazy. I'm I'm yes. not on your side of liking him. I don't know him. Sorry, Owen. I'm sure you're a great guy. I'm sure your family likes you, but you suck. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot over the top. Uh, I, I'll let me go one more on the basketball side of things. A personal favorite, I think. The and one is a pretty good little yeah. signal. I just I kind of like the like the when the ball finally drops through, you get just a little little tap with the with the with the wrist with the wrist that's the thing you, you can have the great subtle and one call or you can have the kind of bigger moment where the ref gives you a nice like fist pump with it an emphatic one either way i i like the and one call it feels good as a player you can kind of you know you get the foul you're kind of bringing yourself to and you can kind of do it with the ref as a celebration yep. and it looks cool i like the and one call a lot i'm good with that I, i'm with you all right and we'll wrap it up with this one skinny during a live call of a game have you ever said anything you regretted either immediately or after reflection? Um, yeah. Um, I've, I've told people the story I'll, I'll tell it here. It was, it was literally, I was doing a, a high school game for spectrum, Ohio statewide broadcast. And it was, 
it was Fairfield. Um, I think Fairfield Lakota, Lakota West, maybe when Jackson Carmen was playing for Fairfield and Jackson was obviously a high level recruit. And my producer says in my ear, Hey, we're going to isolate on Carmen. Just, just tell me what you see. And I was the analyst. So literally they isolate on him. He barely got out of his stance, barely took a step. And I literally says it, that is the laziest play I've ever seen a player make in a game. And I thought I just did that to a high school kid. I felt bad about it, but then it kind of fit the MO a little bit. Well, little did you know, you'd still be saying similar things here several years later. I know, but I, I hate to do that to high school kids. Right. I mean, you, yeah, that seems a little bit unfair. I'd yeah, say. But, but he did. He goes, just tell me what to say, what you see. And that's what I saw. I'm like, could you have been any lazier getting out of your stance to go try to block somebody? That's beautiful. <laughs> and when I thought yes, about I did this, regret that. When I thought about this question initially, it was like, I nothing really comes to mind of things I've said on air that I immediately regretted or that I thought about a lot. I mean, I'm sure there's something, but to me, it was more things like um, doing the Xavier stuff where I've had a little bit of information that was kind of sensitive. And I start to just like say it on a podcast or I start to sort of hit right. it something where I go, ah, oh, you know what? They, I didn't really ask them if I could say that. I probably, right. probably yeah, should have done it more, more, uh, checking with my source there before I let that out in public. Yeah. Those are probably more the situations that, that come to mind for me. Yeah. As I say, doing play by play, I, I honestly, things go so fast. I don't, you know, I, have I messed up a name or something or say, you know, called it something wrong perhaps. Yeah. But I don't think it's something regrettable, but I do regret what I said in that game. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Skitty. All right. Good stuff. Uh, we will be back next week with the Pope podcast. A lot more college basketball to discuss Bengals off season. We'll go, quickly um and we'll have some super bowl discussion for next week as well for rick roaring i'm richard skinner it's been the skinny podcast the weekly pope edition, presented by ryan kiefer of first community Board.